Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. I welcome you this morning. I, I love the Bible, and I'm glad we can read the Bible publicly. I'm glad we can pray together. I'm glad we can praise the name of the Lord together. I'm glad we can give together and serve together. But I'm glad that we have the opportunity to know the Bible. Some of you may not be familiar with the Scriptures, and I'm certainly not as familiar as I'd like to be with them. I really want to know the Bible better. Because to know the Bible is to know the God of the Bible. Everybody uh, has opinions about God. But God has already given his opinion about himself in the Scriptures. Someone said, if you're going to know yourself, you need to know God because you're made in his image. To know God, you'll need to know his son because Jesus is the embodiment and the physical aspect of God. He was God. He was flesh. He became flesh and sin for us that uh, we could be free from our sin and we could, we could be righteous. But to know Jesus, you'll need to know his word. And God gave us the Bible for two basic reasons. Number one, so we would know how to be saved. So we can know how to get to heaven from here. See, you are not made for hell. And anyone who goes to hell goes to hell on their own terms. Uh, they have to climb into hell. They have to climb over people that love them and try to tell them about Jesus. They have to climb over uh, their own conscience that tells them that God loves them and he can pay for their sin. You'll have to climb over a local church, friends, gospel tracts, People trying to tell you, listen, you can have eternal life. I remember when I came to know the Lord as my Savior, I'm so glad for the patience of God. I was involved in a car accident just a few weeks before I got saved. In that accident, my friend Tom died. And um, while I was laying in the hospital bed, having my hip uh, surgically worked on, I started thinking, man, what if me and Tom were in two different... We were in the same area of that vehicle, and about 20 minutes before the accident, I went to sit in the back. What if I would have stayed there? Where would I have been forever? And it really caused me to think about, where am I going to spend eternity? If I died today, where would I go? And I'm so glad that God uh, spoke to my heart through... The Word of God, a few weeks later, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And what a great deal. And I'm glad someone showed me the Bible. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you want to know how to get to heaven, you need someone to point you to the Scriptures. Because after you hear the Scriptures, the Scriptures give you faith to believe in the God of the Scriptures and accept His forgiveness of sin. And I hope if you're here today, you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. I hope that you will let someone take the Bible and show you how to be saved. If it is that uh, you're already saved, that's the second reason God gave us the Bible. Not only to tell us how to get to heaven from here, but how to live every day after we're saved. How do we manage a marriage and relationships? How do we raise children? God tells us. How do we manage our money? God tells us. He tells us to work hard for your money. He tells you you're going to have to be careful with your associations because who you spend time with and who you listen to determines your view of money. He tells us to be content with such things as we have. Living a holy spiritual life and content with such things you have is a great gain. He tells us to be generous with our funds. He tells us how to get things right when we've messed up. The Bible tells us that 
The Word of God did not come in old time because some men said, I think I'll just write some of the Bible. You know, if you, if you give attention to the Quran, it's just one man's ideas. It's just got one human author, and it's his ideas on everything. If you, write, you read the writings of Buddha, you have Buddha's idea. But when you read the Bible, you have God's idea. You have 40 different instruments he used, 40 different human beings. One lived 1,600 years from the time the first guy wrote it till the last guy wrote it. And they never even met each other, and yet they write in beautiful, uh, complementary agreement. Why? Because you have just one author, God, but using 40 different people. And God said, I gave you the Bible so you would know what is right to do, doctrine. I gave you the Bible so you would know what is not right to do, reproof. I gave you the Bible so you would know how to get right when you mess up. Correction. And then I gave you the Bible so you'd be instructed in doing the right thing so you don't mess up. Now, I'm glad we have the Bible. This morning, I want to speak to you a little bit about principles of solving conflict. Um, in our reading, we're in the book of Acts. And uh, the, first per- the first person you and I need to solve a conflict with is God. <laughs> We're sinners. I was talking to a sweet lady yesterday and began to share the gospel. And she said, the thing I have a problem with you is, Pastor, you keep saying I'm a sinner. And you're like, sinner's the big problem for you guys. You're always saying everybody's sinners. You're not a sinner. You're being nice to me. I'm not the sinner. I said, well, girl, if you steal something, what are you? She said, a thief. If you lie, what are you? You're a liar. And if you sin, what are you? I said, I don't want to say it. <laughs> You're a sinner. And you know, all sin is first against God. And against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil against thy sight, David said. And, but I'm glad that God gave us a place to take our sin. And uh, you do have an issue with God if you're not saved. You're under condemnation. I was under condemnation. But when I got saved, the Bible says, now I am not under condemnation. I've made peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. and Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And boy, if you're here today, you're not sure that you have peace with God. You need to get out from underneath that condemnation. That's why the Bible says, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. One thing you do not want in this life or the next one is to have the wrath of God abiding upon you. And God tells a little bit about that wrath, and you want to be where it's not, and you can be, because God so loved the world. that whosoever believeth in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. I'm so glad I have a God like that, aren't you? And if you're here and you're not sure you're saved, please don't leave today without getting that straightened out. Because our first conflict is against a holy God. He's holy, we're not. And we need to, be, we need to get on, on, uh, on the right page with him. And that means to accept his son, Jesus Christ, and be under his wonderful forgiveness. But the truth of the matter is, in every life in this fallen world, we're going to have conflict. You're going to get into it. You're going to get into it with somebody. We find it in marriage, 
We find it as parents and children. We find it with friends and we find it with foes. We find it with neighbors. I've been to hundreds and probably, I'll just say hundreds of homes. I think maybe even thousands of homes in my tenure as a servant of Christ. And often I will say, well, that neighbor over there, we don't talk. And we had our fence fall down, and we had to do this, so we just don't, we don't, there's, there's tiffs with people. Even in a church, unfortunately, has been the case. And the book of Acts is the fifth book of our New Testament, and it tells us the good and the bad and the ugly about what happened. It's a narrative. And it tells us in chapter 1 that Jesus goes back to heaven. In chapter 2, Jesus and his spirit comes down to earth. In chapter 3, people who have the Spirit of God inside of them go out and tell other people about how they can have the Holy Spirit of God inside of them. In chapter 4, we have, uh, we have uh, persecution that comes to God's people. In chapter 5, God brings a little persecution to his own people in dealing with sin of Ananias and Sapphira, and more persecution and imprisonment takes place in the early church. Chapter 6, there became a grumbling among widows who said, you know what, so-and-so's getting more attention than I am, and my, my, uh, my uh, sidewalk didn't get shoveled in time like the way the other people did, and they didn't take care of me, didn't get that meal to me as quick as I heard sister so-and-so got, and they began to argue. And the pastors decided, you know what, if we're having to take care of all these people, we need to get some help. Because we're, we're doing this at the expense of reading and studying the Bible and prayer. And so God gave seven men from the church who stood up and said, we'll take care of the widows and try to fix that problem so our pastors and our leaders can make sure they keep getting the word of God out and they're spending time with the Lord. Chapter 7, one of those deacons was stoned because of his preaching. Chapter 8 one of the other deacons went and won an African man to the Lord from Ethiopia, and he got saved and took the gospel to Africa. In chapter 9, the nemesis of the local church, his name was Saul of Tarsus. He hated Christ. He hated the truth. He didn't want to hear. He, just, he had a paradigm that was different than Christ, and he had to repent. And in chapter 9, he met head-on with Jesus, and there was no match. He lost, but he actually won. He came to know Christ, and he tells that story over and over again. He becomes the, really the main character of the rest of the book of Acts. In chapter 10, God had to teach one of his main uh, movers and shakers, Peter, that he not only loved the Jewish people, he loved the whole world too. And he gave him the opportunity to learn about that through winning a man named Cornelius to the Lord, who was a, a centurion, a man who was in the Roman Empire army and had 100 men underneath his authority. And he led him to Christ. In uh, chapter 11, he had to tell some other Jewish friends about what happened to him. In chapter 12, the church received more persecution. Uh, its pastor, James, was arrested and taken to, uh, to execution. The church cried and sad about the, the fact that their pastor, James, had died. And then they arrested Peter. And the Lord revealed that he would uh, release Peter from jail supernaturally. In chapter 13, the gospel comes down from Jerusalem up to Antioch, and there a large group of people begin to believe and receive Jesus. And it wasn't just a Jewish church. It was a Gentile church. It was very international in flavor, and, and the Spirit of God began to rest upon them. And the Christians were first all Christians at that area of Antioch and about 275 miles north of Jerusalem. 
And from there, they gathered some great people who would teach the Bible to the folks. And God chose two of those people, Barnabas and Paul, to leave that church and to go and take the gospel to the regions beyond. And they began, and they took 1,400 miles in total going through islands of Cyprus and up into uh, modern-day Turkey and going around and, and telling people about Jesus Christ and then making their way back to uh, Antioch, the church that sent them out. And I'm glad to be a missions-supporting church, aren't you? I'm glad that we have people doing that today. And I'm glad that I can have a part this morning. Linda and I sat down and we put in our offering, not only for what we uh, owe the Lord and our tithes and what we want to give to God and our love and gratitude, but also what we've committed to give to the Lord in our missions giving. And I'm thankful that I get to go to church with people who have the same mindset and the same heart. And I appreciate so very much. I think every Christian ought to do something every week so the world hears about Jesus. And I'm glad we can do that. Well, this church did. Now... They had come back and they were spending what some people believe two to three years potentially back at the church of Antioch. So they're back there. Paul and Barnabas are back there. And while they're there, there some guys came up from Jerusalem who were Judaizers. They, they were saying, look, if the Gentiles get saved, that's good and that's fine. But you've got to teach them to obey the Old Testament laws. If they're going to be saved, they've got to obey the laws the way the Jewish people did. And it became a problem. It could have blown up the church. But I'm thankful for three concepts that kind of keep peace in the church. Number one is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord of the church. The pastor is not the Lord. You're not the Lord. The, the creed is not the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. And understanding every church is ultimately needs to be controlled by the Lord. Just like my body is controlled by my head. My hand lifts his hand up because my brain said that. The words I'm formulating out of my mouth, my teeth, my lips, my voice box, my diaphragm, those are things coming from my brain, my head. And there's not an argument. If I walk over here, it's because my head thought that would be a good idea. If I come over here, it's because my head, and you know, the body is responding to the head. And the Bible says Jesus should be the head of his body. We're not in competition with the head. We're complementary the head. We're trying to help do what God wants done. We're not always real good at that. How many of you can testify that we're not always responsive? Have you ever met someone who maybe has had the unfortunate challenge of a stroke? It means that they're their body, oftentimes the right side or the left side. I've got many friends who've had this, and their, their right arm, their right leg does not respond. Sometimes they, they can't say what they need to say. They know what to formulate in their brain, but their mouth will not cooperate with their head. Boy, that's, a, that's an illustration that I want to make sure I'm cooperative with God. If the Lord Jesus wants something I want to do with the way he wants it to be done, I don't want to, to, be, to be someone who's not responsive to our wonderful God. But in this church, there became some folks who began to bring some problems, and three things helped solve it. The lordship of Jesus and the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. Number two, the leadership in the church. James, and uh, the brother of Jesus, and, and Peter, and Paul, and Barnabas, and Judas, another guy, not the one who, who betrayed the Lord, but another fellow, uh, another guy named Silas, they all got together and they worked together and we see the leadership and then we see the partnership. 
of the church. So what it made them do when there became this big schism here, we find that the lordship of Jesus, the leadership of the church, of the church family, and the partnership, the, the spirit to work together, thwarted something that could have been very bad. They went down to Jerusalem. They figured it out. The church down there sent a letter up to the Gentile church at Antioch and sent two representatives, Judas, and uh, they sent Silas to go up there. And they said, look, here's what we're going to do. You don't need to keep the Old Testament laws. It's not necessary. We, don't, we couldn't keep them before we were saved, and we can't keep them now. And, but we do want you to make sure that you're not offensive. You're not offensive in your life. Number one, you don't want to offend God with blood because in the blood to God in Leviticus chapter 17, 11, it represents two things, life and atonement or salvation. And he says, look, don't eat things strangled or, or drink blood. Don't do that because that's offensive to God. You don't want to offend God. You know, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You say, Pastor, why did... Why does Jesus' blood talk about, why does God keep talking about the blood? Because the blood represents two things to God. The life of the body is in the blood. God treasures life. That's why we don't believe uh, in abortion and euthanasia, murder, shedding another man's blood. Why? Because God is sacred about life. And then it's through the shedding of blood that we have remission of sin. But God, Jesus, don't offend God with those things. He said, I don't want you to offend the weaker brethren by eating, eating food that's been offered to idols knowingly. He said, if you know that's going to offend your brother, don't offend your brother. Don't offend God. And then he says, don't commit fornication. Because a sin of fornication is a sin against your body. It'll, it'll offend you. You want to really mess up your life? Be a pervert. Live as though you're married when you're not married. Be extramarital in your affairs. You want to really mess up yourself? You'll mess up yourself. You'll mess up other people around you. You will be an offense to yourself. And the Bible says when it comes to basic things, the Gentiles and the, the Jews, look, don't offend God and don't offend each other and don't offend yourself by practicing immorality. That's what the Bible tells us. Well, they took that letter down. They read it. When they read the letter, the people were pretty happy. Let's look at it, Ken, please. You're in Acts chapter 15, verse 31. When they received the letter, the word epistle is the, is the word for letter in your Bible. Someone said they thought an epistle was the apostle's wife, but that's not really true, okay? That's not the case. An epistle is a letter. And when they had read the epistle or the letter, they rejoiced for uh, the consolation. They were comforted the fact that they had simple instructions. Don't offend God, don't offend other people, and don't offend yourself. Live the basic Christian life. It's simplistic, not complicated. Verse 32, and Judas and Silas, being prophets also, themselves exhorted the brethren with many words, confirming them. And confirmed them. He said, the two men came up from the church at, at uh, at Jerusalem and said, look, we want to encourage you with this. This is basically it. And they taught him more from God's word. And after they tarried there for a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. They went back down to Jerusalem. Verse number 34, read it with me if you would, please. Notwithstanding, it pleased. 
So Judas went back down to visit his family, but Silas stayed up there at the church of Antioch. He decided to stay a little longer, and that was important because he would be the next missionary with the Apostle Paul. So it's kind of interesting. He went up there to be serving the Lord with the, the church at, at Antioch, and he, he, he said, you know, I think I'll just stay here a little while and keep, keep serving. And when it came time for Paul to go on his next missionary journey, Silas was the man that God used to go with Paul. So that's kind of interesting. And sometimes you may not understand, and I don't understand what's going on in the nasty now and now that God has working in your life. How many have seen some things that you didn't know why you did that, but now you understand why you did that? That's an amazing, amazing thing. There's so many things. I, the Bible says the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. And there's some things that happen in my life, and I'm thinking, why did that happen? But you know what? Now it's the reason that I can do certain things with the Lord. These are things that God used, and he's using that in your life. And Silas probably didn't understand it all, but the Lord left him in a place to be used as a global missionary ultimately. Let's continue if we can, please. Now we see a conflict comes on. And uh, once you look at 35, and Paul and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of God with many others also. Now, how long they stayed there is a little bit debatable. However, uh, some people believe it's two years. I don't know how long their furlough was necessarily. But we do know there are some things that happened there. If you go over to another section of your Bible in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11 to 21, those of you who read your Bible might enjoy reading that and seeing that. But you'll find that Peter comes up and James comes up to Antioch during this time, and there is some challenges that go on. And Peter is, uh, he's confronted by Paul. There's a conflict between Peter and Paul during this time. There's a little bit of conflict between Paul and Barnabas, too, because of some prejudice that was going on. And you can read about that later. But conflict is taking place where are, uh, there are Christians together. I don't like it, but it's true, and it happened, and it's normal. Let's look at the next verse, if we can, please. Verse 36. And some days after, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. So he goes to his old missionary partner. They spent 1,400 miles traveling the world and coming back. And, and now he says, Let's go back and let's go visit our churches that we started. By the way, Sunday school teachers, Christians, you ought to be a visiting soul winner and a visiting person. A house-going uh, teacher makes church-going people. And I think this is something we ought to have a revival. And when's the last time you stood on someone else's porch? When's the last time you sat in someone else's living room for the purpose of helping them grow in the Lord or get to know the Lord? I'm telling you what, it ought to, it ought to rattle your cage. Well, I just want someone to shake my hand. Stop making it all about you. By now, you should grow up and quit, uh, quit thinking about, well, I'm just not, I'm just not happy. I'm, just not, I'm offended by that. I don't appreciate people not coming to me and helping me and all that stuff. Get over that and go be a blessing. Amen. He says, time for us to go. Let's go back and help the people that we got saved and went to, and let's go be a blessing to them. And Barnabas was excited about it. Let's look at what the Bible says here. Verse number 37, and Barnabas determined... He was pretty strong about this. That's a strong word. To take with them John, whose surname was Mark, as his nephew. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work of the first missionary journey. And the contention was so sharp between them, Paul and Barnabas, 
that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took his nephew, John Mark, and sailed to Cyprus. That was the island he was from originally and followed up with the people they had led to Christ there. And Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And would you read the last verse with me? Are you ready? And he went through Syria and Caesarea. I want to speak to you just for a few moments. We see here people that are great Christians. I don't know if you could find two finer people on the planet than Paul and Barnabas. I mean, these guys were unbelievable. They were people that, that loved Jesus with a, with a fervent heart, but they got in a spat. They had a strong disagreement, and the contention, the Bible says, was so sharp that they had to separate from each other. I don't know about you, it's a little discouraging story. When you see people that you admire, two strong leaders, and yet they couldn't cooperate with each other as much to do something that would have been a good thing. I want to ask you this morning a little bit, how do you handle conflict? All of you have had it. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 17 that it's impossible to live life. It's impossible to live life that offenses don't come. You're always going to have offenses. Offenses do happen. If it doesn't matter if you're in business, if you're in business, you can, you can tell me stories about how you've gotten upset with somebody. In your working with people, in a marriage, brothers and sisters. How many have a brothers and sisters and you've gotten to a spat? If you didn't raise your hand, you're a big liar too, I'm telling you. Yeah, we got problems. We live in a fallen world and boy, sometimes we lock horns with other people. I want to give you just a couple of principles I must hasten, but I want to give them to you. Number one, conflict is inevitable in this fallen world. You're going to have it. It's just, I, I wish to tell you, man, you just never have problems. Let me tell you how you can never have problems. Do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. And you won't have a single problem. Just be a blob sitting there, and you won't have any problems. But if you're going to move about, if you're going to say something, if you're going to think something, if you're going to do something, you're going to have some challenges. Problems and conflicts are inevitable, number one. Number two, the seed of all conflict is pride. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 10, only by pride cometh contention. Now, what does pride look like? It looks like you and me in the mirror. That's what it looks like. Okay, it's me. It's you. It's when our opinions, our thinking, our desires supersede anything else. It's when I got to have it my way. I, you've got to see it the way I see it. You've got to think it the way I think it. When my thinking, my feelings, and my desires are paramount, you're looking at a prideful state. state. It's when I matter most. It doesn't mean you're the greatest. It could be sometimes... He says, oh, I'm the best thing since ice cream. Well, that's wonderful. That's pride. Okay? Or it could be, I'm a piece of trash. I'm nothing. I'm just nothing. You're prideful too <laughs> because I is the focus. And only by pride cometh contention. Now, it's not always. Sometimes it's not both people's pride at the same equal, equal amount. Maybe one has more than others, but boy, it is at the core. And that's one of the things we have to understand. And even in this situation, 
A good man like Paul and a good man like Barnabas, still pride hides and it causes issues. Okay, so those are just basic things. Pride's gonna, pride, or excuse me, conflict is inevitable. Conflict is called ultimately the core foundation of conflict is pride. In a marriage, it's pride. When a mom and, when a mom and dad are telling their son to do something and he doesn't agree and he gets mad, it's pride. In business, it's pride. Someone doesn't want to take the high road, pride. These are things that, that are, that are real, real. Number three, conflict can sometimes separate good people. Sometimes conflict, and this is a case in point, uh, Barnabas. His, his name is really not Barnabas. His real name is Joseph. But they nicknamed him Barnabas because he was such an encourager. He was called the son of consolation. So he got the name Barnabas. We would call him Barney today. And I'm just joking about that. Barnabas got the name. He was, that was the kind of guy he was. He was just a great guy. Paul, I don't think I could ever find a more maximum Christian than Paul was. I mean, when I, when I look at Paul, I think, wow, he just went, he just raised the roof on commitment and love and so many things. But they had to be separated because of a conflict. We see Jonathan and David were separated. Whose pride was it that caused Jonathan and David to be separated? Was it David's pride or Jonathan's pride or was it Saul's pride? Even another man, I remember getting caught in the crosshairs as a young man between two men that I love dearly. Both of them were mentors in my life, but they got in a fight. Both men I loved and cared about them, and they both got in a fight. And I got caught in the crosshairs of that, and I was a pawn on the board. And I called one of them, and all they wanted to tell me is bad things about the other one. I called the other one, and they wanted to tell me bad things about the other one. And I loved them equally. And they both loved me, and I got caught in the crosshairs in that situation, I don't think it was my pride. It was theirs. But when you, when you want to get proud and you want to go in a conflict, let me tell you, mom and dad, you can't figure things out. Do you think that's going to happen at the expense of your kids being okay? No. You think the name of Christ is not going to be hurt whenever we can't figure out how to resolve a problem? Humility is the opposite of pride, and I think God tells us that. But sometimes good people are separated by conflict. Here's another thought I want to give you this morning. Conflict does not have to turn to bitterness. This is a beautiful thing in this case. At the moment, here's what happened. Paul says, hey, Barnabas, let's go back and let's visit the people we've seen and seen saved. Let's go back and confirm and do some more discipleship lessons. Let's help them grow in the Lord. Barnabas said, that's great. Let's do it. I'm ready to go. I'll get John Mark and we'll be ready to go. Now, hold on a second. No, we're not bringing that quitter. We took him last time. He gets out of the island of, of Cyprus, and he gets over there, and he wants to go back. We're not doing it. He's a quitter. I don't like that kind of thing. And boy, you had Paul all of a sudden. Hang on a second. But he says, hey, he's my nephew. He's a good guy. He's grown up since that time. And it's interesting here is that Paul, in my opinion, was the wrong one. If you remember your Bible, you'll remember who was it that took a chance on Paul? It was Barnabas. Barnabas took a chance on Paul, but Paul was not willing to take a chance on John Mark. You know, sometimes 
those of us who have been given the, the most blessing hold other people responsible and we don't want to let them off the rug. We have been forgiven. So many Christians have been given so much. There's been so many things done for us and we concentrate on a couple things done against us. And we build a case. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And boy, you've been blessed so much. You've been forgiven for the mess-ups you've done, and yet you don't want to let somebody else on the mat, off the mat. That's why the Bible says, Ephesians 4.32, be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. If a God in heaven would forgive you and I for our mess-ups, there is nobody that we should not be willing to forgive. Now, let me say to you something, just real quickly. In every case, forgiveness does not involve reconciliation. There has to be confession and repentance before there can be true reconciliation. But forgiveness needs to be extended from our hearts. That's why God says you've got to keep a tender heart. You have to forgive from your heart. You want to look at something that will really challenge you, read the last verse of Matthew chapter 18. So likewise shall your heavenly Father do to you if you do not from your hearts forgive everyone his brother their trespasses. There's some deepness there, and we can't go into it for sake of time. But I want you to know that just because there's a conflict does not mean it has to go on to ongoing bitterness. Now, the Bible calls bitterness a, a root that springs up. All of us have potential for bitterness. And bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping it hurts a person to hurt you. You're going to get eat up on the inside. And bitter roots produce bitter fruits. And all of us have area of potential. Underneath the soil of our heart, when we get hurt and it's unresolved, a root of bitterness springs up inside. And it causes other people to trip over it, including your own self. Oftentimes, people who are bitter, they're concentrating on the person that hurt them, and they can't stand that person, but what happens, they become exactly like them. Because whatever you focus on, that's why Jesus is looking unto, you keep your eyes on Jesus, you're not going to become bitter. But you keep your eyes on a circumstance or a person that's hurt you, you're going to be just like that person. The person that hurt you so bad, you're going to become just like them. I love this story. I don't like the story, but I do like the story because, you know, Paul spoke very glowingly about Barnabas in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He said, now, Barnabas, he's my buddy. Years later, do you know what Paul said about John Mark? He said, be sure to bring John Mark with you because he is profitable for the ministry. In Colossians chapter 4, and verse number 10, we believe John Mark probably wrote the book of Mark. Aren't you glad you have the book of Mark in your Bible? And he said, this guy, he was a wealthy young man, probably not used to being out under the stars. Probably when the heat, when, it, when the kitchen got hot, he wanted out of the kitchen. He left, but, but God used his skill sets to really grow the things of God. And he compliments him in Colossians 4.10 and 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 11. Now, I tell you, friend, we find here that just because you have a conflict with someone does not mean you need to continue to be bitter toward them. Be forgiving toward them. Then I want you to notice another thing. In conflict, entertain the possibility that you may be wrong. Louis L'Amour, he's a great Bible scholar. 
He's really not. I'm just joking about that. But he said something really good one time. He said this, honest men always have doubts. Honest men always have doubts. Honest people evaluate and say, you know, did I do the right thing there? Did I handle that correctly? Dishonest people and people covered up, they just think, oh, I'm, I was right, they're all wrong, and it's, it's just, a, it's 100% their song and zero mine. No, no. Usually there's not two people in a situation that are snowy white. And honest men always have some doubt. Did I handle that thing correctly? I think it's very important that you and I, especially in a conflict, to be honest with ourselves and say, what role do I have that I could have done different? Am I thinking right about this? And entertain the possibility that you and I can be wrong. We can be wrong in a situation so easy because of our pride to only see it from our perspective. And I'm glad that Paul kind of figured this out. It took him a few years probably. But he thought, you know what? I think I hurt that boy. He needs to know that he's important to me. And he's important to the ministry. I want to encourage you to make sure you, you solve conflicts with wisdom. And conflicts are very dangerous and very destructive when they're not handled by the Spirit of God. And they're not handled in humility and honesty and a willingness to forgive and love. And may I say to you, love is a key ingredient. Love covers the multitude of sins. All of us have conflict. You're going to have it. And if you keep breathing this afternoon, you might have a few more. Tomorrow you're going to have it. Potential problems because we live in a pride-filled world. God can help us through this if we'll handle things in a wise, wise way. I think one guy said, I may be wrong, and I frequently am. I think just learning to know that sometimes we're wrong, and we're wrong, need two things, admit it and quit it. Confess your part in it. You can't always be a a doormat to be walked on. I'm always wrong. They're never wrong. Boy, it would be good whenever you find people to say, you know, I'm going to get to the right thing. And this contention got so sharp, they couldn't even be together for a while. And those are painful things, certainly in a marriage, certainly in other relationships. I'm so glad that God gives an example of what we can do when conflict arises. I think some principles I hope you'll, you'll consider today. Let's pray together, can we?